In this episode, we look at the sanctions dilemma. Are those targeted actually filling the pinch? We also talk Egypt's new Suez Canal charges and Kenya's fertilizer crisis. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ruth Adong. For more, follow us on Twitter at The K Financial, and you can find me at Ruth Adong. A paper by the Middle East Research and Information Project examines the concept of the sanctions dilemma and looks at the efficacy and efficiency of sanctions. Are sanctions imposed on nations part of the solution or do they become part of the problem? Are sanctions also proportional to the severity of the situation and not themselves violating fundamental human rights? Jordan Kinera, international trade lawyer and partner at Adalci Advocates, joins us for this episode to break down this concept. Let's talk effectiveness of sanctions. Who carries the weight of these sanctions? So how sanctions work is that um, they're meant to create pressure um, within the state um, that has been sanctioned for them to bring their policies um, in compliance with um, international law and to cease and desist from um, actions that may have caused those sanctions to be imposed in the first place. Take, for example, if um, a country is a big export of petroleum, just like Russia, and gas to the EU. Now, if the EU, being its biggest market, um, refuses or bans the importation of, of gas into its territories, that could have a devastating effect um, on Russia's economy, since that is their biggest earner as a nation. And um, being the big sector that it is, um, it employs a lot of people. So when it comes crashing down, there's bound to be a lot of civil unrest, um, unemployment, and there's going to be immense, immense suffering amongst um, the local people. Now, that begs the question as to the effectiveness of sanctions. Oddly enough, in my opinion anyways, um, the ultimate aim of sanctions seems to be to create immense human suffering amongst the innocent citizenry um, in a sanctioned state in order to force their leaders, um, the political leaders, to do what they're being compelled to do or what um, the state imposing the sanctions requires them to do. So it very rarely has a direct impact on the political elite who um, take the decisions, but has a very, very, very big impact on um, your everyday people. Uh, I'll give an example of Zimbabwe um, after the expulsion of the white farmers. Uh, it came under immense sanctions. The, the country and the country still um, limps from the effects of those sanctions to date. But whether those sanctions impacted the people who took the who made the decisions, the politicians who made the decisions, ultimately leading to the sanctions, is a question for another day. And I would answer it in the negative because um, they seem they, they continue to prosper. Nothing changes for them. It's your everyday citizen who can't afford to buy you know, everyday commodities because they are in short supply, um, because there's an export ban to that country, they cannot access basic necessities. So sanctions seem to be an attack on poor people. It's more political than it is practical. Um, there's what we call um, the sanctions dilemma. And uh, it's to the effect that the most severe sanctions or the sanctions that would ultimately bring um, an infringing state into compliance with the international law are also the harshest um, on innocent and everyday people. And then those sanctions that harm the innocent people the least are the least effectual. So it's, it's, it's a catch-22. If you want to achieve what you need to achieve, then there's going to be great human suffering. And then if you want to um, avert human suffering, then the sanctions themselves are going to be very, very, very ineffective.
And then the trouble with um, unilateral sanctions is um, by and large, um, and as time goes by, the list of countries that are being sanctioned um, by the greater powers keeps growing. And the danger with that is um, once you sanction a significantly large number of countries now, there's a potential for them to create a parallel um, economic infrastructure and systems amongst themselves that completely evades um, the sanction regime that is being imposed on them. And then um, you have countries that have, by and large, learned to live with sanctions. Um, Cuba was under U.S. sanctions for the longest time. Um, North Korea is under sanctions. China has been sanctioned. Russia has been sanctioned. Sudan has been sanctioned. Mali has been sanctioned. Central African Republic has been sanctioned. So people find a way to live with it. So after a given period of time, then people stop feeling the effects and then the sanctions become useless and inapplicable to them. Because if suffering now becomes the norm of the day, then people learn to find ways around it. Is it possible for sanctioned nations to build systems that evade sanctions? The trouble with um, unilateral sanctions is um, by and large, um, and as time goes by, the list of countries that are being sanctioned um, by the greater powers keeps growing. And the danger with that is um, once you sanction a significantly large number of countries now, there's a potential for them to create a parallel um, economic infrastructure and systems amongst themselves that completely evades um, the sanction regime that is being imposed on them. And then um, you have countries that have, by and large, learned to live with sanctions. Um, Cuba was under U.S. sanctions for the longest time. Um, North Korea is under sanctions. China has been sanctioned. Russia has been sanctioned. Sudan has been sanctioned. Mali has been sanctioned. Central African Republic has been sanctioned. So people find a way to live with it. So after a given period of time, then people stop feeling the effects and then the sanctions become useless and inapplicable to them. Because if suffering now becomes the norm of the day, then people learn to find ways around it. How possible is it to challenge sanctions imposed on countries? Regarding um, challenging of sanctions, um, it's a bit of a sticky issue because if there's no single procedure for imposing sanctions, then challenging them also becomes a bit um, of a quagmire. But you can impose sanctions um, by going back or looking at um, the manner in which they, they were imposed. If they were imposed under EU law, then you have to go and look at the relevant EU statutes enabling those sanctions. If it's under the Magnitsky Act of the US, then you have to go under the Magnitsky Act. So um, in all instances, you have to um, look at the enabling legislation or the enabling framework for the imposition of the sanctions. Um there haven't been too many cases that have been contested in courts of law, but um, I think the most popular one should be um, the Kadi case where um, a Saudi businessman called Sheikh Yassin Abdullah Kadi um, was sanctioned. Individual sanctions were placed on him by the US uh, and the EU. So he challenged the decision of the EU before the European Court of Justice. That's the highest court um, in the EU. And um, judgment was actually given in his favor because they said the impos in the imposition of the sanctioned of the, of the sanctions um, due process was not followed and um, it was an affront on um, on basic human rights, including including the right to a fair hearing 
and indeed an affront um, on the rule of law. So you can actually challenge them, but then you have to go within the framework that imposed the sanctions in the first place. That was Jordan Kinyera, international trade lawyer and partner at Adalci Advocates. Now, a quick review of the other stories making it into the podcast. Egypt says it will increase transit fees for vessels, including oil-laden tankers passing through the Suez Canal, one of the world's most crucial waterways. The Suez Canal Authority says on its website that it will add 15% to the normal transit fees for oil-laden and petroleum products laden tankers up from the current 5%. It said the increases will take effect on May 1st and could later be revised or called off according to changes in global shipping. The canal said the surcharge for chemical tankers and other liquid bulk tankers will be hiked to 20% up from 10%, while laden and ballast dry bulk vessels will have their surcharges increased to 10%. Vessels carrying vehicles, general cargo, and heavy lift vessels, as well as multi-purpose vessels, will see a 14% increase up from 7%, according to the canal. Ballast crude oil and oil product tankers transiting the canal are still required to pay a surcharge of 5% of the normal transit fees. On its website, the canal said that the increases come in line with the significant growth in global trade and the waterway development and the enhancement of the transit service. Canal authorities have been working to widen and deepen the waterway's southern part where a hulking vessel ran aground and closed off the canal in March 2021. The six-day blockage disrupted global shipment. About 10% of global trade, including 7% of the world's oil, flows through the Suez Canal. The gross domestic product of Rwanda advanced by 10.3% from a year earlier in the fourth quarter of 2021, following a 10.1% growth in the previous three-month period. This is the fourth consecutive quarter of economic expansion, mainly driven by services, in particular hotels and restaurants, financial services and transportation. Meanwhile, the industrial sector lost steam, that is construction, mining and manufacturing. Also, activity weakened somewhat in agriculture, forestry and fishing. On a quarterly basis, the GDP rose 4.4%, much faster than a 1.2% expansion in the previous quarter. In 2021, Rwanda's economy grew by 10.9%, the most since 2018, a sharp bounce after contracting a 3.4% in 2020. The high cost of fertilizer in Kenya is likely to affect coffee production. Producers say this might further reduce Kenya's share in the international market. During an advocacy meeting by coffee producers in East and Central Africa and a five-year reclaimed sustainability project, Peter Gigonio, Kenya Coffee Producers Association chairman, said the prices of inputs and delayed rains have led to delayed flowering, which will in the long run affect the quality of the beans synonymous with Kenyan coffee. He said farmers are unable even to pay for the amount required in the fertilizer subsidy program due to tough economic times. And a quick look at the markets. Cocoa futures rose to a two-week high of around 2,620 US dollars an ounce tracking stronger demand and smaller production prospects due to soaring global fertilizer prices. Commercials remained a stronger buyer after a recent slide with cocoa boards of both Ghana and Ivory Coast well sold for the 2022-2023 crop. At the same time, shortages of fertilizers on cocoa farms amid trade disruptions from Russia and Belarus are set to affect the quantity 
quality and size of cocoa beans. Adding to these, the International Cocoa Organization in its latest quarterly report estimated global bean supplies to drop by 5% to 4.9 million tons, while it sees demand to jump by 3% to 5.086 million tons. WTI crude futures surged more than 4% to above 112 US dollars per barrel on Wednesday after a storm in the Black Sea damaged one of the world's biggest oil pipelines, disrupting exports from Russia and Kazakhstan and possibly wiping out 1 million barrels from the market. Prices were already rising after industry data showed the US crude inventories unexpectedly fell last week, highlighting a tight global market reeling from international sanctions against Russian oil exports. Latest data from API shows US crude stocks fell by 4.3 million barrels for the week, ended March 18th following a 3.8 million barrel rise in the previous week and defying market expectations for an increase. On top of that, markets remained on edge over the prospect of further sanctions as US President Joe Biden is scheduled to meet with European leaders today to discuss Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good morning, Africa is a product of the K-Financial. And if you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit our website. That is thekfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at The K-Financial.